For road rage in Australia, I guess it's not really that big of a deal because people sort of like will honk and they'll yell and it's not really a big deal. But you don't really have to think about people having guns or like doing anything like crazy like that. And we were driving at night visiting friends down in LA and this person was like driving a little bit stupid and they cut in front of us. And I was like, oh, screw this guy. And I like honked him and and then he just like slammed on the brakes and like kind of like reversed a bit. And then we stopped and they stopped the car and the guy got out of his car instead of walking towards us. Welcome back to Drive With Us, a podcast where we bring on a new guest every episode to talk about the crazy things they experience on the road, who they are as drivers, and how they became the driver they are today. I'm Bhavneet. And I'm Taranjeet. And today's drivers are Jules and Christine, professional travelers, content creators, and podcasters. They've been on the road for over 10 years exploring all the world has to offer and met while traveling in Peru back in 2012, working at a disaster relief nonprofit. They have been traveling together 24-7 ever since. Along the way, they started a travel blog called Don't Forget to Move, which over the years has become their full-time job and now focuses on adventure travel and responsible tourism, helping their audience experience the world in a more sustainable way. They also host the podcast Not So Bon Voyage, which is a comedic travel podcast where they talk about all things that can go wrong while on the road. And today they shared with us some of those few things that went wrong while they were on the road, such as having to ride with farm animals in Colombia and their adventures in their converted van. Welcome, Jules and Christine. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. So I know you guys are big travelers, and I'm super excited to hear all your stories because I'm sure you have really crazy ones from all the places you've been. Let's start with which one you think is the craziest driving story of them all. Oh, we have definitely had a lot of crazy driving stories. A lot of the time it's when we're not driving ourselves, uh, and the one that definitely comes to mind at the start would be our time in northern Colombia, traveling out to a place called Cabo de la Vela, which is pretty much a middle of nowhere, Christine? It's almost the northernmost point of South America. And it's where not a lot of travelers go. They say it's kind of like the wild west of Colombia. So it's pretty far off the beaten track. Yeah. And even just to get out there, it takes a bit of a mission. You go take a couple of buses and a couple of different small minivans. And then you finally get to a little place called Uribia, where you take, you jump into a four by four. And this is not your standard four by four. This is a four by four that has been sort of personally modified to have seat at least a dozen people in the back tray like a pickup truck and the journey out there is four hours of bumping around and sloshing around in the mud depending on the season being crammed in with about a dozen people into a four-person seater and picking up a lot of livestock along the way like chickens and goats and all kinds of crazy things Yep. So you are basically crammed in the back of this four by four with at least a dozen other people, of course, all locals. We were the only other travelers who went that far, I guess. And then random animals start coming in. So we had piglets on the floor. We had baby goats on the floor. I think I had a chicken on my lap at one stage. I think I had a... I had a baby on my lap at one yes, stage. Yes, definitely had a little baby on my lap. I'm not well. sure whose baby it was, but there was a lot of stuff coming in. And on our way back out, it was the same thing. Tons of livestock, tons of animals, just like feathers everywhere. And we were leaving very early in the morning. It was maybe 4 a.m. before it was even light out. And we were stopping at all of these farms and little houses along the way. And we had some unexpected visitors strapped to the roof. Yeah, we had three huge desert tortoises. They were probably about six foot wide. They were they were honestly the biggest tortoises I've ever seen in my life. And about five or six men were putting it on top of the roof. I don't know where it was going, the poor thing. But uh, yeah, it was quite a wild ride. Yeah, it was literally a wild ride just filled with animals. Wild, but wild it was, animals. Yeah, it was, a, it was a funny experience. Is that common for them to like put tor- turtles or tortoise on the roof? That is definitely our first tortoise on the roof experience, but it is quite common for them to travel with livestock, uh, especially when you're out traveling in rural areas in more indigenous communities. It's quite common for them to, you know, they got, they're coming from the local market, so they've got a chicken and it's tied up, or they've got a goat or a little pig hog tied at their feet and they jump in the bus or jump in the car and go back home. And yeah, that's fairly common. We, you know, they, they call it chicken buses in Central America for a reason. <laughs> There's a lot of chickens on them. 
were the animals with you for most of your trip or like how long were you with the animals? Uh, I'd say the whole time. So this place here is is pretty isolated. So there's there's a few rural sort of villages. I don't know if you'd even call them a village, little sort of commune areas along the way. But most of the people are going from sort of point A to point B and they're traveling with all that livestock either to there or bringing it back. So yeah, pretty much the whole four hours we were sloshing around in the back of this four by four pickup truck with a whole bunch of animals and people just like one guy with a chicken might get off, but then one guy with two chickens gets on. So, you know, it's always balancing out. What made you choose to go there out of all the places since it's not a very typical forest destination? That exact reason. (laughs) At at that point, we had spent probably uh, maybe a year in Latin America and we were just ready to get like push the boundaries and get even far off the beaten track. And just really wanted to go where we're not going to be surrounded by backpackers because oftentimes in Colombia and Peru and those countries, you kind of end up on the tourist trail and you just get stuck with, you know, and it's great. You make a lot of friends that way, but you're kind of sick of just being surrounded by backpackers all the time. So we wanted to go somewhere where it was just all locals. We could really get to know the culture and just push our boundaries, basically. And that seemed like the best option. And it was an interesting experience. We were definitely the only travelers we saw there. We ended up sleeping in hammocks outside of this cabin thing in the wind and the rain. And we were just swaying in these hammocks. It was pretty intense, but it was beautiful, just super rugged, pristine landscape out there right on the coast, but still very deserty and dry. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really gorgeous. And we'd heard that the journey out there was was half the adventure, and it definitely was probably one of our favorite journey stories that we tell, because the destination it was nice out there, but we've you know we've been traveling for eight years, ten years, and we've been to a lot of beautiful places. Definitely not in the top of it, uh, but the journey out there was definitely in our top sort of five. How would you describe the drivers there in comparison to other places you've been? Well, we were just talking to someone actually on a podcast recently on our podcast about uh, their driving experience, and we were talking about. A time that we were in a bus and it, this was actually in Columbia as well and the bus driver I'm pretty sure was falling asleep and we were at the front and you know when you get tired and you start to like nod off and you, your eyes close slowly and then your head kind of jolts back up that was our bus driver uh, so I spent the I spent the journey talking to him in the front uh, as much our Spanish is pretty good so speaking to him as much as I could just to make sure that he didn't fall asleep but it's a bit of a mixed bag I'd say with drivers out there we've had drivers uh, hitchhiking, Christine, the one with the aguardiente. Yeah, we that was also in Colombia, right? We were in the foothills of the, the Sierra mountains, Nevada yeah. in Colombia near this town called Minca. And we did some hitchhiking around there. And we were picked up by this guy in a truck. And everything seemed fine. He was very friendly. We we're driving along with him, chatting and whatnot. And he pulls out this bottle of aguadiente, which is basically fire water alcohol. It's like pure, it's like Everclear kind of. It's just yeah, pure alcohol. It's like rubbing alcohol. And he was knocking it back. He was giving us some. And we were like, oh, good Lord. Like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Like, I, we're uh, going up on these very windy mountain roads. I don't know if this guy should be drinking straight alcohol right now. But we basically had some just so we could calm our nerves. Calm the nerves. <laughs> yeah, and be less stressed out. But it, it turned out fine. We didn't get an accident or anything. But we, I guess we've encountered some sketchy drivers in Colombia. But maybe that's just our small sample size. Yeah. You, you find those everywhere. Yeah, that must have been scary, especially with a driver falling asleep. Yeah. It's definitely not what you want uh, in a minivan full of people. In a different country. <laughs> yeah. So I know you also shared about traveling to Canada. You were there for two months in a converted van. Yeah, so we have a van. It's a 92 Dodge Ram. It is nothing special. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty bare bones. We bought that a few years ago and did some conversions on that and gutted it and re-insulated it and built a bed frame and some storage and we've got solar panels and all the camping like cook gear and yeah, we're taking that out for some fun adventures and one was this year. It's definitely, we have found out more of a summer van. So the majority of our travel has been through the Western United States in the van, mostly during the summer and the fall. But we were like, let's take the van in the dead of winter to Canada. That's a great idea. So we drove up along the coast. It was gorgeous. Stopped in Seattle and went to Vancouver. Everything was fine until temperatures started dropping. We hit a ton of snow, so much snow day in and day out. And the van 
Dan was just not prepared for that level of temperature, I think. So it stopped turning on for a while. <laughs> and then we had some mishaps with the snow. Yeah, we had, yeah, we first had some battery issues. And then we got the battery fixed and that was all, all good. Uh, and then, yeah, we got, we're not, we're not really used to snow, I guess you'd say. So first time we had to put on snow chains was when we were actually stuck in a bit of a snowy car park. So that was fun, like learning how to put on snow chains while we were stuck. And we had a couple other mishaps along the way, but yeah, generally not too bad. Haven't had too much bad luck in the van. We did get stuck in a snowy ditch. We did. Where we were going to check out this lake and Jules, not to throw you under the bus, but Jules is driving. And it looked like it was a completely flat, you know, snowed over road. So he pulled over to the side and we found out that it was not, it was a ditch that had, was filled with snow. So as soon as we pulled over to the side, the entire van basically tipped, tipped into it, leaned to one side and tipped into the ditch and we could knock it out. Luckily we have AAA and that works in Canada. So that's a good tip. If you're traveling to Canada, AAA is really useful. Yeah. It's pretty much exactly the same, which we didn't know at the time, but it's yeah, just the C CAA, which is a Canadian version, exactly the same. So you get the same amount of call outs and support. And they sent somebody really quickly because we told them that we were really cold <laughs> So they sent somebody out to us and yeah, we just watched the office on our phone on (laughs) Netflix (laughs) for 40 minutes until they came out and then they pulled us out with their, you know, truck, tow truck. But yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a good life lesson for us. Definitely check if it's a proper road or, or a ditch that you're going to fall into. Yeah, Don't drive onto snow unless you're sure that it's a hard compact ground underneath. Exactly. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. How much experience have you had in snow? But you've already touched on that. So would you, I guess, if you had the opportunity again, would you drive in the snow again or would do you prefer not to? I don't, re- I didn't really mind driving in the snow. We had a van, in that van, in a, well, let me preface it by saying in a better van or a better car, I wouldn't have as much problem. In our van, it was not, probably not the, not necessarily safest, but probably not the most equipped for it it's only rear wheel drive we had mud and snow tires which technically okay but snow tires are probably a little bit better for the snow and the the steering like the column shift is a little loose so the van kind of as you drive the steering wheel kind of has got a little bit of like three or four inches sway on either side so driving down a snowy snow covered road with the tires like not being exactly the right ones and the steering wheel kind of steady and you're not used to snow that's a little bit not the best conditions to drive under but otherwise I would feel confident and be happy it was fun the only issue is that with van life the whole idea is that you spend a lot of time outside of your van right so you don't really want to be inside your van the whole time and when it's snowing constantly outside we did take some snow hikes and explore but you can't spend as much time outside as you would if you were you know traveling in the summer or spring or something so we kind of got stuck there and there were a lot of road closures and trail closures because of the snow so prefer to probably go back maybe in the spring or the fall back to Canada. Yeah, and everything kind of looks the same in the snow as well. Like yeah, let's be honest, like all of it's the white. Lo- <laughs> yeah, it's all white. It's just that's it. All of the beautiful lakes that we wanted to see in Canada, we didn't even think about it. All those beautiful turquoise lakes like uh Lake Louise and Lake Moraine around Alberta, they were just all frozen. They were all frozen and then snow covers them and they just look like they could be a grass field. So you don't really get the same impact as those Canadian Rockies. But yeah, still it was still not it was nice for us as a change because we pretty much follow the sun 24/7. We spend we rotate our travel schedule around summers. So we spend the start of the year in Australia with our summer, we go to Bali, we come back to California for summer. So we're always chasing the sun. So this is this was like something different for us to do and now we've done it and we probably won't do it again. <laughs> you learned your lesson. Yeah, <laughs> we did. we're definitely, we're beach people. <laughs> so with all the places that you have traveled, there's typically like different stereotypes, I guess you could say, of drivers in different areas. So were there any distinct stereotypes of different drivers in certain areas that you have noticed or where you are now? 
I do think that drivers in Rome have a bad reputation or maybe not a bad reputation, but a reputation for driving kind of crazy. And when my family was there, this was a long time ago, but we were driving to the airport and our taxi literally hit the car in front of them. And they were just like, it's fine. We're just going to keep going. Like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) It's like, we hit people all the time. It's all good. We just keep going. And that's really bad. It's like, it's fine. So I think they probably live up to their reputation a little bit. Yeah, I'd say you can generally find bad drivers and good drivers everywhere around the world, which is probably what travelers taught us. I'd say that there's certain countries that they're a little bit less, I don't know, less particular about the rules. In the bigger cities in Asia and Southeast Asia, like Bangkok and Manila, uh, parts of Vietnam, it is organized chaos for sure. Like just with all of the scooters, I don't know how they do not get in more accidents. It is just this stream of scooters that seem to be going in all different directions, following God knows what kind of traffic laws, but it's just insanity to watch. But it's actually kind of interesting because they just seem to have this really synchronized chaos, I guess. And we haven't seen that many accidents there, so it seems to work, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that kind of reminds me of India driving. Like when we went there, it's like you said, it's organized chaos. It's like I don't know how they can survive with the amount of crazy maneuvers that people are doing and all the people just walking and all the bikes, but they seem to manage it somehow. Yeah, I think it's because they're used to it and they're they've like grown up and practiced driving in that chaos. So they're almost more alert to what's happening around them. They're alert to the fact that, you know, people are going to walk out or there's scooters or there's, it's kind of like chaotic. So they're it's sort of trained for that. Whereas I feel like in maybe like the Western world or like places that have like a lot more like stringent, like traffic laws, everybody kind of just gets in their head and sort of, I don't know, they just drive and don't think about their surroundings. And, and that's why I feel like a lot of those accidents have just come from silly mistakes whereas you don't really see those accidents in other places but then when they do have accidents in those places they're usually bad because it's like their cars are full of people and they don't have seat belts or something you know yeah true so i guess there's good and there's bad so if you were given the option would you choose to be a the driver or the passenger I prefer to be the passenger. <laughs> I prefer to be the driver. <laughs> I like to not I, I don't want to be responsible for the craziness that could happen. I like to be the driver, yeah. Yeah, Jules likes to be in control. Usually, well, usually if we're in like Bali or other places in, in Latin America or Southeast Asia, we rent a motorbike and Jules is the one that drives it because I got in a horrible motorbike accident in Nicaragua in 2011. So I choose not to, to drive the motorbikes now. Mrs. Magoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you ever gotten in a car where you were the passenger and you wish you didn't get in? Uh, I mean, probably my younger days. I, I, I've i definitely ridden like in trunks and things like that. You know, if you're going from maybe a party to another party or, you know, reckless, you know, 18-year-old things like that. So there are probably some uh, bad, poor decisions I made in my life, but everything turned out fine. So it's all yeah, good. For now. <laughs> How would you describe the type of driver that you are, and this goes for both of you, and would you say that your family and friends would describe your driving in the same way? I think I'm a good driver. I think that, I think I'm very alert, just like, I don't know, I, I would I would think that people think I'm a good driver. I, what do you think, Christine? I think you're a good driver. I don't think you're a bad driver. I think you're a good driver. Yeah. I would say that I am also a good driver, but mm. I think that a lot of people would disagree, although I have hit quite a few uh, stationary objects, but I have never hit a person. I've never been in like a a real accident that I've been driving. I've only hit mostly parked cars, actually only parked cars, but I have hit several parked cars. I hit my dad's boat uh, with my mom's car quite a few years ago. Um, One time I was backing up out of our driveway and I hit this visitor's car and then I pulled forward and then I backed up and I hit it a second time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty embarrassing. And then I just laughed. I was like, I got to get out of here. Um, I have sideswiped a truck in the city and knocked my mirror off. 
I've I've hit a couple parked cars where I've had to leave notes. But it, but all that to say, I've never hurt anybody or had a, an accident with a moving vehicle. So it's only been parked cars so far. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't park my car around you. <laughs> <laughs> probably the probably a good idea. <laughs> my car, we say, it has a lot of love taps. It has a couple like holes and dents and things like that that have uh, from things that have happened to it. A lot of cities tend to have this um, more honking in the cities as opposed to like out in the town. Would you consider yourself someone who tends to honk at people? No, not generally, but I would do it if I need to. I never thought I was a honker until we were driving in our van and our horn doesn't oh, work in true. the van. Yeah. So we cannot honk at anybody. And then once that is taken away from you, you realize how often you actually really need to Would honk your to. horn. Yeah. So yeah. maybe I am a honker. I don't know if it's because we don't have the horn and we would want to use it. But I think that when you don't have it and you want to use it, it really makes you feel like, oh, like I need a horn right now. But if you have it, I don't know, maybe just take it for granted. Don't take your horn for granted, guys. That's the number one tip. It's important. <laughs> Do you substitute your honking with something else? Uh, probably just yelling. I don't know. It's funny because even though we know the horn doesn't work, we still oh, yeah, hit yeah, the middle yeah. of the steering wheel as if it's going to start working. But it, of course, it never does. Although one time we were traveling in Utah in our van and it was early in the morning. And I don't know why. There's some dodgy electrics in the van for sure. And I think we got out to go and look at the end of uh, Dead Horse National Park or State Park. And as we shut the door, something must have just triggered and the horn went off. And it would not turn off. And it was just on. It was just constant. It was just <laughs> constant. And it's the first time we'd, we'd had the van for probably six months at that stage. And we knew the horn didn't work. And that's the first time we ever, the first and only time we've ever heard it. And it was just stuck on. And we were like, oh, my God. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. We're in this beautiful state park. It's in the morning and there's visitors showing up. And it's so, like, tranquil. And this is just like, <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, I'm going to have to like pop the hood and try and find something to disconnect. And then I guess after like five minutes, it just stopped. Yeah, it just and eventually like, we, stopped. I think we just tried to do the same thing. Like, like open the door and like slam the door shut again, open it, slam the door shut. And eventually it just turned off. It was really embarrassing though. Yeah, it was very embarrassing. And we're like, all right, we don't need the horn. We're like, please. I know we said we wanted the horn, but now we don't want the horn. <laughs> no more horn. It's making up for all the times you couldn't honk. Yeah, yeah exactly. Seriously. It was saving them up. <laughs> so what would you say is... When you're driving, what would you say is your biggest pet peeve of other drivers? My biggest pet peeve is people, I've actually got a couple, and I feel like they feel like they're definitely more present in the US. So I'm from Australia, and I feel like people in the US do a few things, or don't do a few things that we do. Oh, here we go. Here we go. All right, you ready to strap in? <laughs> One is that people in the US don't use indicators as much as Australians or other people around the world. They just They just merge lanes. They don't use indicators. And the other is that they love to tailgate and I hate people who tailgate and that really annoys me. And especially when you're in the far left lane and you're going as fast as you possibly can to the car in front of you and you've got people right up your backside trying to like get around you. And I like to always keep a safe distance from the car in front of me, but they see that distance is like, oh, I could get in front of that car. And I don't know, they're, they're like my two pet peeves, people who don't indicate and they just merge and also people who tailgate, they really annoy me. My biggest pet peeve is definitely people who text when they drive. That drives me nuts because it's so incredibly dangerous. And I'm like, is that really that important that you can't pull over or just text when you arrive at your location? But I see it all the time and it terrifies me. So dangerous. Yeah, that's when I honk at people. If yeah. you see them, if you see them on their <laughs> phone or something, you'd be like, honk and then you go, <laughs> Given the, the international symbol for stop texting, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, if you were over here in Maryland, I think you wouldn't stop honking ever then because literally everyone's on their phone. Really? Oh that's my God, so that's bad. so bad. It is. I mean, people do it everywhere, but yeah. Yeah, people do it here too. I, I think that, I don't know, maybe we have tough laws on it because I, I don't see a ton of people doing it, but when I do, I'm just like, oh, stop. You, you're so bad. <laughs> Yeah, but I agree with the whole uh, putting your signals on because when we we also when we went to Australia, I was like, oh my god, people put their signals on in the circles or in the roundabouts, and it's like <laughs> yes. here's like <laughs> nobody. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm validated. If, if Christine always thinks it's just me just like complaining about U.S. drivers, but I swear <laughs> it's true. Like they don't even when they're turning. Sometimes I feel like people don't use their indicators, so they'll come to an intersection and they'll just turn, and I'm like. 
Yep. Not a fan. It was like, I wish I knew why. I wish there was a way you could tell me that you were going to slow down. Oh, wait, there is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, easy. <laughs> pretty much. I wish there was a way that guy could indicate to me that he was going to turn. <laughs> Speaking of all these annoying drivers, have you ever experienced road rage or has someone ever had road rage like towards you? Oh, probably I have at some stage. Usually a pretty level-headed driver. Actually, wait, one time, it's just made me think of LA. Remember that time we went down to LA? Mm-hmm. And this is when I was pretty pretty new to the US uh, in terms of like living here or like coming back here with Christine. And like for road rage in Australia, I guess it's not really that big of a deal because people sort of like honk and they'll yell and it's not really a big deal. But you don't really have to think about people having guns, or like do anything like crazy like that. And we were driving at night, visiting friends down in LA and this person was like driving a little bit stupid and they cut in front of us and I like honked them and they stopped the car and the guy got out of his car and started walking towards us. And I was like, <laughs> and just drove around. And I was like, I was like, see ya. I was just like, Jules, like in the States, you never know who has a gun and people can be crazy, especially in LA. This goes into like a big pickup truck and he like cut us off and I was like, oh, screw this guy. And I like honked him and, and then he just like, slammed on the brakes and like kind of like reversed a bit and then we stopped he's probably 50 yards ahead of us and i was like what's this guy doing and then he gets out and he starts like walking towards us and i was like nope <laughs> <laughs> just drive off around him yeah i'm out of here <laughs> yeah yeah i don't think i've had too much road rage i don't really get road rage i was in an accident where the so i, was, I wasn't driving i was with a friend and we were driving back to university and somebody cut him off on the highway. And so he kind of swerved around to get in front of the person. And in doing so, he almost hit this person. So he had to turn the wheel really quickly to the left. And we spun around twice and hit the median twice when we were spinning around. And it was a pretty bad car accident. His car was totaled. Uh, and But everybody's fine, just like a little bit of aches and pains, but nothing serious happened. But it was pretty scary. And after that, I was just like, it's never worth it to get upset or get mad at another driver, try to get in front of them or anything like that, because you never know what's going to happen. And it could just be, you know, the end of everything. So Mm. I like to play it safe. I'm pretty level headed. And I just like let things go. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I'd like to get like if there's anything that really bothers me in the moment, I'm get over it pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, it's good to hear that you're safe from the accident because that sounded like it could have ended badly. Absolutely. It could have been really bad, especially there were tons of cars on the road. And we were just really lucky in that the car hit the median and ended up staying pretty much on the side of the freeway away from other cars. Um, So, yeah, we were pretty lucky. And it's funny because we were driving to university. So I had a couple of friends who were also driving down from the Bay Area and they saw us on the side of the road and they were texting me like, hey, are you okay? I just saw you on the side of the road, you know, with the cops and whatnot. I was like, yeah, we're fine. But that was probably the worst car accident I've been in. So but survived that one. So it's good. Yeah, that's good. So now that we've heard what kind of drivers you are, let's go back to how it all started. And I'm curious to hear Australia versus U.S., since you guys have both of those views. How would you describe your first time driving experience and who was it with? The first time, oh gosh. I mean, when I was growing up, maybe 12 or 13, my parents would like, we would, if we were like kind of in the country, they would let us drive around or whatever. Or we would do the thing where like we would steer and the parents would do the gas and the brake and whatnot. That's probably really illegal. But I think, you know, I feel like most parents kind of do that with their kids. Uh, And then as I started actually being old enough to drive like 15, uh, my dad taught me how to drive and he took me to a community college that had like big parking lots, very safe, very empty. And he had filled up these big black trash cans or sorry, trash bags and put them out into like a pile and had me practice stopping really quickly right in front of the trash bag. So I could get used to like, if I need to stop, like if someone, you know, steps out in front of me or whatever happens, I feel comfortable with that sense of being like, stop immediately. Like this is scary, but you know, have that quick reaction. And I think that actually was really helpful. Obviously not that helpful because I've hit many things, but (laughs) it was definitely a good lesson in being like, okay, this is what it feels like to stop emergency stop if you need to. So that's how I learned how to drive. (laughs) I can't even remember how I learned to drive. 
with my dad, I'd say, probably because my dad was more relaxed than my mum. So my dad was kind of cruisy. So just when I was learning to drive with my dad, it was just very much just drive. And my dad was like, yep, you're doing good. Whereas my mum was a lot more like, ah, I'd be more worried. So I think it's just driving with my dad. Well, it's funny because Australia, you when you can get your driver's license at 18? You get your learner's permit at 16. Okay. When you can drive with someone and then you get your license, like where you can drive by yourself at 18. Okay. Because for us, you can get your permanent, I think like 15 or 15 and a half or something. You can change and then the state to state, you doesn't can it? drive at 16 by yourself, which just seems crazy. crazy now looking back on it. I'm like, oh my God, no wonder parents are so nervous to have their children driving. Because 16, they, uh, that seems too young to be driving by yourself. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions, what the difference between the driving ages were between Australia and the U.S., and I agree that I feel like 16 is a little young. But not when you're when you're getting it. <laughs> when you're getting it, you're like, no, that's not young at all. Totally. Isn't that funny? When you're 16, you're like, I'm an adult. Like, I am so responsible. <laughs> I'm totally fine. But looking back, like sometimes I would have like a car full of my friends and the music would be up so loud and just all these distractions. And it just a recipe for disaster, you know? Well, I guess within the US, though, it's different because... You get your license at 16 and then you can't drink, well, legally you can't drink till 21. Whereas in Australia, it's a little bit more of a recipe for for disaster because everything is at 18. So you can get your license at 18, but you can also drink at 18. So the day you turn 18, you can go in and buy a six pack of beers. You can also get your license. And so that makes it a little bit more problematic, but they do it differently now. I think in Australia, there's from when, when I first got my license, you had a like a probationary period from 18 to 21, I think it was, where you had to have zero blood alcohol. Um, I think that's pretty much it. And now they give you an extra year in your first year that you have your license. I think you can only have one passenger who's under 25, uh, no alcohol. And there's like a couple of different rules for that first year. And then once you get past that first year, you have another three years of like no alcohol, things like that. So there's like a probationary period. Do you have that? I... Don't well if you're under 21, even well, if you you're, can't drink anyway, you can't, yeah. yeah. Your blood alcohol level has to be zero, or you can get done for drunk driving. Which, even if you're not like 0.08 or whatever, if, I think if you're any level of alcohol, I think you can get done for drunk driving if you're under 21. I believe, <laughs> I'm not sure. It's been a while since we had to look at, those, look at those laws, but I actually didn't get my license until I was 17 because all of my friends had their licenses and they had cars. So I was like, well, why do I need to spend my gas money when everybody can just drive me around? So I was just like, I'll wait. And I got mine when I was 17. I was actually late as well for the same reason. Instead of getting 18, I think I got it like 20. It's because I'd moved out for college and all my friends were older. So I just, they all got their licenses first. And by the time I was 18, every one of my friends had had a car and had their licenses and I just didn't need it. I lived close to everything like that I needed, like the sports team I played for and school and yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, I need my license. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting because I feel like here, at least, everyone's like, once they hit that mark, they're like, I just, I just need my license. Even if I'm not going to drive, I just want it. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I wonder why it was like that. I just didn't really have that much interest in driving myself. I guess it just, I mean, I probably was smart enough to think it's safer for me not to be driving at 16. <laughs> but yeah, it was. It was just a personal decision. And I just had so many friends who, because I didn't have a car either. So even if I had had my license, I wouldn't have been able to really drive that much around. But I had friends who actually had, you know, hand-me-down cars and whatnot. So I asked a lot of people for rides during high school. I was always, you know, asking for a ride home or a ride to a friend's house or something like that. I feel like at that age, everyone's willing to give friends rides because you just learn to drive and they're just excited to drive. Absolutely. Yes. It was very easy to get rides from people. Everybody was excited just to, I mean, we would just drive around. Like I remember that was like a big fun thing to do was just play music and literally drive around. I mean, horrible for the environment, obviously, but it was just, you know, cruise the streets in your car. Yeah. We had the same thing. Yeah. I'm interested though, like for duels, how difficult was it for you to switch from driving? Cause I think in Australia you drive on the left, right? So switching from that to driving on the right here. Uh, it wasn't that bad, to be honest. I guess it was sort of did it over the period of now it's now when I go back and forth, it doesn't really feel that different. I guess wherever I've spent the most time recently when I switched back. So like if I spent a long time in, in Australia and came back here, 
takes like a little to readjust and vice versa. But it wasn't that bad. It's just sort of you just have to be a little bit more alert, a bit more conscious. Sometimes I would pull out of a driveway or something and I would forget which way I was supposed to turn. Like if there were no cars on the street. And I've def- I've definitely in both Australia and the US sort of pulled out of a gas station back onto the road and pulled into the wrong uh, lane for a little bit and then going, <laughs> oh, well, wrong lane. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, it's really like, I mean, driving, it's all the same. Like it takes a little bit more to readjust like parallel parking because you're on the opposite side, you know, just getting comfortable with being on the opposite side of the car as well. That's probably more so than being on the opposite side of the road because driving's driving. Like it's all the same. It's mostly just your judgment is different because you're on the um on the left side instead of the right of the car that's really interesting here i thought it would be a lot more difficult i think it is for some people i don't know i i i guess just like traveling around a lot and i guess it was sort of you know when i was in peru i was driving around a a truck when we were volunteering down there i was driving this big truck around and like i've had a lot of experience around the world like traveling here and there and just getting used to it so yeah i guess maybe at the start it was a little bit trickier but I've never really found it too much of a, a massive change. I think that parallel parking on the other side, it being on the other side of the car as well, is probably one of the hardest things. That was a big adjustment when we lived in Australia. I was like, I don't know how to parallel park this way. This is really scary. And also the car we have in Australia is this very beat up old Subaru and the steering wheel. Well, it's not that beat up. It's the steering, pretty, though, I will, pretty beat up. It is a little bit beat up, but the steering I will... Yeah. It's very sticky. Is that the right word? Well, the power steering doesn't work anymore. So, and it's very temperamental. So, you literally, unless you're, if you're parallel parking, unless you have some like momentum and gas on it, you literally have to turn it with two hands because it is that difficult. I always say I get the best upper body workout driving this car, this car, because it is so difficult to turn that wheel when you're just stationary. And yeah, it's I've definitely gotten some people honking at me when I'm really slow at parallel parking, trying to crank this thing around. It is very, it is very tough. Yeah. It's almost like the reverse of power steering. It's like harder to steer than a car with no power steering. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> and you feel comfortable getting in this car? Yeah, the car itself, the car works great. And it's it just seems to be when when you're driving, it's fine to turn. Like if you're turning around a corner, it works fine. But as soon as you're off the gas, for some reason, the power steering just sort of cuts out. So if you're if you're just like slowly edging into like a par- car park, it doesn't really work. But if you're like going around the corner, the power steering's fine. I don't know what it is. It's just <laughs> it's a kind of like a beach car, and it's it's my old car that we just kept at my parents' house, and they just use it now to. It's a station wagon, so they just use it to take the dogs down the beach and take the dogs. Like so, it's kind of you know if it gets scratched or banged up, it's it's a bit of a run around car. Yeah, so just but it's always there. So I've always got a car when when we come back, which is handy. So it's not really worth getting fixed up. It seems like your vehicles tend to have parts that just start working and start working, like the horn and then your power steering. Yeah. Oh, there's heaps more things on the van that don't work. The the oh gosh. the um the odometer stopped working. The speedometer is very like once you get over about fifty miles, it pretty much just ticks. It like, goes from like 60 to 80. Like it, it just like goes back and forth. Yeah. So always, we always joke about if we got pulled over and the cop would be like, do you know how fast you're going? And we'd be like somewhere between 60 and 80. I don't know. Yeah. So We actually use Waze sometimes because if you use Waze, the Maps app, it tells you how fast you're going. I don't know how accurate it is, but it gives you a general idea of how fast you're going. And uh, so sometimes we use that as our speedometer. Yeah. And the gas... The gas gauge also, it like shows you where it's at when you first turn the van on, but then it just drops down. So you don't always know what the gas gauge is at. So you kind of have to make sure. It's got relatively decent mileage. Um, so, but we always need to make sure that we fill up just in case the gas is low and we don't know. Oh my gosh, I would never want to get in this vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> we live life on the edge. Yeah, in the van. I mean, you know. Uh, mechanically i mean mechanically it runs fine like we've never had any issues with it we've taken it in it's, it runs great it just has a few minor things you know i mean you know do you really need a speedometer <laughs> debatable <laughs> do you really need to know how much gas <laughs> yeah i mean that one that one more so so you don't get caught out but otherwise it's like you know a dominant yeah it'd be handy to know how far the, the van's gone but you know, it doesn't really make a difference. And everything else is like, you know, speedometer, just check the car in front of you, just go as fast as they go. <laughs> it's, you know, you can, you can work around it. Uh, the main thing is it doesn't break down. That's the main thing. 
Very true. Yeah. Well, I guess you've gotten really good at, yeah, I don't even know how you do it, but <laughs> kudos to you. <laughs> Making do. That's what we, that's what we become good at. How would you guys describe your driving test experience? Were you able to pass on your first try or was it difficult? Yeah, I passed my first try. It was not difficult, I don't think. Although I did almost, I did make a bit of a mistake right towards the end. I was actually, I completed the test. I was on the way back to the driving, like the our equivalent of the DMV. And But you can still lose your license if you make a mistake, but I'd finished everything. And there was a car that had parked like right at, at a light. They, they had actually parked in the wrong spot. And I thought that they were stopped at the lights and I sort of pulled in behind them. And then the light turned green and the car didn't move. And I realized there was no one in the car that actually stopped. And so that was like a little bit, I was like, oh, but because the person in front of me was kind of in the wrong as well. And it was a bit confusing. Luckily I was okay. And then the driving instructor was just like, oh, just reverse and go around them. And other than that was fine. And I actually had to get my license. Well, not had to, but to get my California license, I had to do a test again, which is also a very interesting experience because I've been driving for so long and then I had to go and do had to go to DMV and do my learners on the computer, just like as if with a whole bunch of 14 year olds and I had to do that. And then I had to book a driving test and get, bring the car with an instructor and go and do the whole <laughs> thing again at like 32 years of age. Uh, so that was, that was interesting. <laughs> I also passed on my first try I had had a lot of friends because everybody, you know, goes to the same DMV and whatnot. Everybody who had already taken their test was like, you'll be fine as long as you don't get the Russian woman who is the instructor. And I was like, okay, okay, no Russian woman. I'll be fine. Okay. So, of course, I get in the car. The instructor gets in the car. Of course, it's the Russian woman. I'm like, oh, no. Like, it's going to be so difficult. <laughs> I was so I was really nervous. I was like, you know, trying to remember everything. But I passed with flying colors, did really well, excellent driving. <laughs> and I was totally fine. I did have a girlfriend who had to take her driving test seven times. And one of the times, I think it was her first time, she got in a car accident during the test. Oh, my God. So that did not, yeah, that did not go well for her. And yeah, she had to take it six more times after that. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. of. She's not, not the best driver. And she's, yeah, she's still not the best driver. I hope she's not listening to this podcast. <laughs> Wow, I think that's a record. I don't think I've heard anyone say they've had to take it that many times. Yeah, it's quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there a lot of DMVs have that one instructor that everyone talks about that they're like, you don't want this person. And I had the same situation where I ended up getting the person that they're like, you don't want to get. Oh, no. Uh, it's the worst. Does the California test or end in Australia, do you have to do parallel parking on the driving test? No, we don't have to do it. No. In Australia, they make you do, I think they usually make you, well, I mean, this is ages ago, so I don't know what it's like now, but at the time, I think you usually got a combination of the two. So you, you might have to do parallel parking. You might have to do a three-point turn. They make you, I think for mine, I had to, I went to an area and I had to reverse back like in a straight line for 20 or 30 yards and a three-point turn I had to do and I can't remember if I had to parallel park. You don't always get it, but I think that it is part of it. So it's like one of those turns or parks. But they usually make you do one of like a combination of it. So you might have to do like, you might just do a 90 degree angle park where you pull in and they go, yep, okay, now pull out. I think I did that in my California one, but they just said, I'll oh, pull into this park here like this and then drive away. But no parallel park in California. Yeah, no, no parallel parking. This is like super shocking. <laughs> like, I think we need to... Now I want to know who actually does it because I was under the impression that that's a thing that you have to do because we had to. And I thought that it was just like standard, but apparently it's not. I feel like you should have to do it. It's the it's the most difficult, obviously, parking maneuver. But also, if you don't have to do it in your test and you, so you don't want to do it and you don't learn it because it's hard, what do people do? I mean, I know people just – I've seen so many people – maybe that's why in California you see so many people – pull up to a car park I'm like you could easily get in there and they're like nope and they keep driving <laughs> maybe that's why I find good parks sometimes because people don't want to parallel park into them I feel like maybe we just have a lot of parking lots and you don't really need to parallel park a lot of the time is that your know. excuse <laughs> maybe I guess you have not been to the east coast 
Oh God, I I would not drive on the east coast. It seems scarier. <laughs> we did have we were out some time where, where somebody was trying to get into this park, and they were really they were a little bit older, and they were really sort of struggling. And the person that we were with, he was kind of a little bit of this eccentric uh, east coaster, and he who's it's kind of like a very New Yorker. And he was like, "Give me the car," and he like literally he's like, yeah, they gave him the keys. He's like went out into the street, and he's like got these people out of their car, and he took their car and he parked it for them. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a really funny experience. They were older, so I'm sure they, I don't know, maybe they just weren't good drivers. But it was pretty funny. That's hilarious. Well, it just means that there's more parking for you since you know how to do it. Yeah, sure, sure. yeah. Well, we just went out for a hike recently just in the North Bay and and we were like looking, we rolled in the state uh, officer. They were, she was like, oh, she was telling people where to park. And there was a park that was a huge park. And she's like, oh, I'm parking. Oh, there is a spot up there if you can parallel park. And I was like, lady, I got this. Don't worry. (laughs) And just like rolled in. I could have almost driven into it. It was so big. But so many people were driving past it and trying to find other parks. But yeah, so I guess that's a benefit for knowing how to parallel park. You always (laughs) find a park. Yeah, so I always wondered. I'm like, if you don't know how to parallel park, like, what are you doing? Just driving around in circles? Especially here, I feel like (laughs) you really need to know how. Otherwise, like, how are you going to stop the car? <laughs> no idea. I mean, now they have put, like self-parking cars, I guess. So maybe people just use that. Yeah, I want to drive one of those. My friend, I've never driven a Tesla, uh, but my friend was telling me one about one recently. And he said that you basically just pull up to the spot. And once all the cameras align, it just there's this blue light and you just press the button and it just parks itself. I was like, whoa, that is the future of driving. <laughs> Would you trust that or would you feel comfortable getting in a driverless car? Oh, man. I mean, I think that's the future. So I guess we just have to get used to it. I have we have friends who've been in self-driving cars and they said it it works pretty well. Honestly, it probably works better than human error. Right. So I probably would trust that. Yeah, I'd, I'd trust it. Especially the park is like, what's the worst that's going to happen? It's going to bump into someone and try and blame the blame the car. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how that would work. It's like, you hit my car. It's like, it wasn't me. It was my car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good excuse. A lawsuit against Tesla. Would you Would you trust it? Would you trust a self-driving car? Or have you ever been in one that does it? I don't think I would. I just, I don't know. I feel like it would malfunction. <laughs> like, I know how to parallel park. So I, I think I would trust myself to be able to parallel park. Yeah. She also stresses out a lot, so... She would be the first one to worry about everything. She'd be like, oh, no, this is going to go wrong. This is going to go wrong. <laughs> well, if you like to be in control, that would be a stressful situation. For yeah, sure. I think that's the problem that I'd have with it. Just the out of control feeling, especially going like if it was driving around a city, I think it could be nice. Although I don't know, because driving around the city is a lot more going on. But driving out in the open roads when you're going faster, that's when it might feel a bit funnier. I don't know. I'm sure we'll get to a stage in probably the not too distant future where a lot of cars are self-driving and, you know, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Yep. Parking is just the first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bonus question time. Are you ready? Uh, we were born ready. Yes. <laughs> if you could make one new driving law, what would it be? Can I like change an old one? One that, can I bring back one that used to be around? Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> okay. Well, this sounds really irresponsible, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I think, if, I think you should be able to drink in the car if you're a passenger. Okay, there's some uh, uh, states where you can do that. Okay, and maybe if you're the driver, if you're just having one. Oh, God, <laughs> that seems like a slippery slope. Yeah, I know. Well, I guess that's the issue with that law because then it, you're sort of more tempted to. But I think if you're the passenger, it'd be nice to be able to, you know, you're cruising on a road trip, you've got your designated driver, or at least for the time being, and you can just crack a beer and wind the window down and not have to worry about getting caught. Yeah, that's a good one. I would say if you're, so I don't know if this is true in where you guys are, but in California, you can stop at a red and turn right if you stopped at an intersection. I would like it to change it so that you just have to slow down. You don't have to make a complete stop. And if you slow down and make sure it's safe, you can turn right on red. Because that's the only time I've ever gotten a ticket (laughs) was for a red light camera. And I didn't come to a full complete stop. And I just was slowed down. I went through and uh, everything was fine, but I, I got caught by a red light camera and I got a ticket. And that's the only time that's happened to me. So hmm. I would change that. I would actually, speaking of that, I would actually, if I could change one law in Australia, I would make the right on red because that, well, it would have to be left on red um, in Australia. 
so it wouldn't have the same ring to it but <laughs> that i love that i think that's such a great i don't think is it in every state i don't think so can you do it you guys are in maryland yeah, yeah. There are certain states that you can't, but Maryland, you can. Okay. Unless I, there's a sign saying, don't turn on red. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. I think that's such a good traffic law. I, I love it. I'd love to bring that back to Australia. I think that's such a good thing because it's essentially just like a stop sign at that stage and you're not crossing anything. And it's just, uh, yeah, I really like that. It's my favorite US or at least California and law. <laughs> But Christine, spoken like a true Californian, you and your rolling stop. I don't want to completely yeah. stop. I just want to <laughs> keep going. The California roll. California roll. What can we say? We love it over here. Yeah, <laughs> especially we, we live in San Francisco and every, I'd say like 90% of the intersections are always stops. So you just have to, like you're constantly, if you're in the, unless you're on a main street, which got traffic lights, pretty much every other street is an all way. There's like very few, um, just like two way. So you're always every block, stop, stop, stop. And I think it's just ingrained, especially in San Francisco, that you just, you're rolling through those. And you see people roll through them pretty quick sometimes as well. It's more like a California sprint through them sometimes. <laughs> I I don't think I would be able to handle that. Like I would probably start honking at people and I am not one to honk. <laughs> <laughs> So in San Francisco, it's very like steep hills and stuff. So do people just go right through the hills? I know like when we were there once, there was like a stop sign, but you're like at an incline. So I was like, how are you supposed to stop at this angle? Yeah, yeah some of those are crazy. Especially if you're driving a manual car, it'd be a lot trickier as well. Definitely need to, you definitely get that back roll. Even in an auto, you get a bit like, can't pull up super tight behind people. You've got to give them space, which a lot of people don't do. But yeah, some of them, there's a couple, we, we live sort of at the bottom of a of a hill. Sometimes when we head off south, you start to like, you can't, you pretty much are so steep that you can't actually see the top of the road like ahead of you. So you have to really like roll over that one slow because you can't see if there's anyone crossing or anything. That just sounds scary. <laughs> <laughs> it can be kind of scary if you're like just driving, driving, and then all, all of a sudden you end up on like this basically like a cliff and you're like about to go down. And some of those inclines are just really gnarly. They can be pretty terrifying. It's like a roller coaster. Whee! <laughs> a real life one instead of a, a control environment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, compared to your hills over there, like ours seem like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can be pretty nerve wracking. And some people like skateboard down them. I'm like, you're crazy. Yeah, they're hard to even walk up and down. Oh, so tiring. Oh, I can imagine. Well, I well, we both really enjoyed your stories today. Do you guys have any final thoughts or any tips you would like to give other drivers? I probably am not the best person to give driving tips. Yeah, you didn't even Just get in, didn't even get into navigation. Phone. Stay <laughs> off your phone. And oh yeah, I also have horrible navigation. I don't I'm really bad at directions, but that's we'll save that for next time we're on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys both have a podcast and a blog. Where can listeners find you if they want to check it out? So our travel blog is called Don't Forget to Move. You can find us at don'tforgettomove.com and all social media. Don't forget to with the numeral move. And we're all about adventure and sustainable tourism. Yep. And our travel blog, uh, travel podcast, sorry, is called Not So Bon Voyage, where we tell stories all about when things go wrong on the road. So we have quite a few travel stories of when uh, breakdowns and car troubles, but we also talk about hiking and adventuring and all those crazy stories of when things just don't don't go your way for the day. And uh, we're on all podcast platforms and on the socials at Not So Bon Voyage. And yeah, you can check us out and hear some funny and crazy travel stories. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. We enjoyed listening to your stories and we'll definitely have to do a part two. Thank definitely. you very much Thanks for having so us. Thanks so much for having us. I just want to start off by saying that here is another example of how we as Americans are less quote unquote sophisticated in our terminology. <laughs> you know how previously we talked about how everyone says roundabout and we're oh. like circle. Uh-huh. And then Jules's pet peeves was like the no one uses their indicators. Oh yeah. And I was like, I was like, we say blinkers. And when he said indicators, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I hate that no one uses their indicators. indicators. <laughs> I agree with you. But I do agree with him, but I had to catch myself and be like, Yeah, I'll say indicator too. 
I'm fancy. I'm not gonna say blinker. Yeah, I don't. The thing that blinks, the blinky. Yeah, the blinky. No, but that's so true. Because when we went there, I was just like, whoa, they like turn on their blinker to in go the into. The, yeah. Wow, look, I just said the two yeah. things. I mean, that's what I thought. I didn't say, oh, they turn on their indicators in the roundabout, <laughs> in the circle. Yeah. Yeah, but that's so true. Like we don't. That's become a you don't use that here. Yeah. When I saw it. that, I was like mind blown. I'm like, oh my god, that is so smart. Like, why don't we do that? Yeah. Why don't they teach us that? They teach us that like very vague. They don't really teach us this, but like my driving instructor very vaguely was like, yes, turn it on when you exit the circle. And I'm like, huh? I didn't even get taught that. <laughs> But what I do is like, I'm like, it makes so much more sense to just turn it on when you enter. And then if you are about to turn out, it'll automatically turn off. So then people know that you're no longer coming around. What? You keep it on in the circle? That's what, yeah, that's what they did in the circle in Australia. He was entering the, our uncle was entering the circle and he turned on his indicator and then started driving around. Oh, I thought it was you turn it on when you're leaving. I thought so too, but like I saw people turning it on when they entered. Oh. And I was like, whoa, that's a new way. And then when they were exiting, like, you know, you turn the opposite direction and it turned off. Oh. And I was like, mind blown. <laughs> I was like, what? See, now what I like, what I do is like halfway when I'm in the circle and I want to go like to the third exit all the way around, I then turn it on because people don't stop because they think you're automatically going to just keep going straight. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that and then our sophisticated language. <laughs> but okay, so his driving law. We ask every guest to share if they could make one law, what would they make? And his law was at least let the passenger be able to drink. And then he's like, and then the driver could have a drink. I don't think that would work as well. Maybe it would work in Australia, but I don't think it would work for drivers in the US. Yeah, especially with, as he mentioned, the road rage is his pet peeve. And like in America, it's a little extreme. And that person that just like walked up to them, just like stopped, is like, I don't think a drink would be helpful in that situation. Well, maybe it would help calm his nerves like they uh, did with the bus driver falling asleep. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I've i only experienced road rage once on the road and I felt like that driver was ready to get out of the car, but we were in the middle of turning in an intersection. So there's like... <laughs> oh my God. Bro. I Yeah, I've only experienced like true road rage. Like when I was in that moment, I was like, oh this is road rage like what i don't even know why this dude was mad but yeah yeah having that that person pulled over and started walking towards you that's uh, that's like uh yeah uh time to get out of here bye <laughs> exactly and then also how they were talking about how their converted van has all these little quirks <laughs> it's an enigma the more they talked about it and the more things they mentioned that didn't work or went wrong i'm just like whoa you're still driving this car? like oh yeah that's not like it's not that important like you're good we don't need a speedometer we don't need to know how much gas we have well they're well they're probably like we just won't go above which i don't know if they won't go above 60 but just like 60 to 80 i don't know what we're going officer <laughs> just follow the car in front of you and hope that they're not excessively speeding um but everyone is already going 20 above the speed limit so would you yeah. follow the person in front of you? And on top of that, not every car's phenomena reads the same way. Exactly. So, but I found it hilarious that they're saying that their horn in the van doesn't work. And then when they went to, like, the one park, and all of a sudden the horn just went off. I know. Like, like how did they turn that off? That reminded me of... of that reminded me of your incident. Too, yes. Or our incident, but it was your rental. Yeah, I had that rental car, which, first of all, I never had a push start and having a keyless, like a keyless lock system where I could yeah. just like tap the door and it would lock it. You tapped so, it wrong. No, <laughs> I tapped it. But then I was like, wait, did it really lock? And so I went to go touch again. Then I unlocked it. Then I locked it. Then I unlocked it. So then it went off. <laughs> <laughs> You're making a spaz out. Like, what is this person doing? Yeah. So then it, and then we couldn't get the alarm to shut off. And yeah. we were in a shopping plaza parking lot it was busy uh-huh and i'm just like uh, th- I, this is my car we're this like this is, is our rental i don't know what to do oh my gosh that was um, embarrassing yeah and you had to turn it off i just couldn't my hands were shaking so much i was just pushing buttons i'm like hit the hit the unlock hit the lock hit the alarm ah! i was just like looking around and i'm like no one look at us like 
This is our car. It's like, hit the buttons. In broad daylight, too, yeah. Like, we're not trying to steal this. I wouldn't want this. Yeah, I wouldn't want this. <laughs> if I had a choice, this is not the car. But anyways, we're not stealing stuff. And that was Jules and Christine. We hope you enjoyed listening to their crazy driving stories around the world, pretty much. And if you or anyone you know has any crazy or interesting driving stories and would like to come on as a guest, fill out the interest form on our website at drivewithuspodcast.com. And stay tuned until the end of this episode for a sneak peek of next week's episode, which is the last episode of this season. Oh, no. We were joined by Shira and Ariel, who shared with us their many road trip driving stories of driving across the country from California to New York and from Mississippi to New York and how driving in the South is way different than driving in the Northeast. Thanks for driving with us. Love this episode of Drive With Us? Leave us a review on iTunes or Podchaser and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Drive With Us Podcast. And now a sneak peek. I drove back from Jackson, which was about 18 hours to my parents in New York. And it was completely fine until I hit the tri-state area. And I was so stressed.